The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. More information about the church is available at www.gracefcwesterville.org. So the major division of the Gospel of John takes place here in chapter 12. And up to chapter 12, John has been detailing Jesus' public ministry. From this point forward, it is going to be all about his private ministry from chapter 13 through the end of the book. It'll be about his private ministry to the disciples, and it's going to be very rich. Now, the first 12 verses have been very rich and very meaningful, and they've spoken to our hearts. But as we get into chapter 13 through the end, it's going to become very personal. And we're going to begin to see how the Spirit of God really zeroes in on God's people. But this morning, we want to really, really understand that the message to Christians is a very personal message. And this makes our verses this morning particularly important because up till now, as I stated, Jesus was talking publicly to draw people to himself. The words are particularly important to you this morning if you have never trusted Jesus as your personal Savior because this is the last public offering that Jesus has spoken. And so even for Christians this morning, if you are not walking as a Christian, the message to you is just as critical this morning. So the verses this morning are what we could call a resume of Christ. Uh, We have, in essence, a summary of his teaching. So before John moves on, he wants to be sure his readers are very clear on what has happened up to this point. And so as we've read verses 44 through 50, he, re- he refers again to the deity of Christ and his light and everything else. And so I thought it was important for us this morning to just take some time and revisit some of these things and understand very clearly where he is taking us. And the first thing that I want us to notice is the deity of Jesus. Notice again verses 44 through 45. And Jesus cried out and said... Whoever believes in me believes, uh, believes not in me, but him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. Now, the importance of the deity of Jesus Christ is that we know God the Father only through Christ. If Jesus was not God, then we do not know God because he has shown himself through Jesus Christ. So why is this so important? If God does not intervene in history to speak of himself, which is what we have in the word of God, and if he does not act to show himself, which he has in Jesus Christ, then we have no knowledge of God. When God intervenes to tell us about himself in Scripture through, through men, as Peter says, who were born along by the Holy Spirit, then we have sure knowledge about who God the Father is. And that is why the Word is so important and why it is so necessary to be clearly understood. And frankly, the only reason we preach this every Sunday, because in it is life and hope. And when God intervenes in history Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ to give us not just words, but to show us his personality, then we understand that he is a personal God. He is a God who wants to have a personal relationship with each one of us. 
And I think so often as Christians, we forget that. We get up in the morning and, and we pray. Maybe we pray. We get up in the morning, we get into the Word of God, and, well, maybe we get into the Word of God. But then our days get away from us with work and busyness and kids and all the things that we have to do, and we just kind of crash into the bed at night. And if we're honest with ourselves and we look back, how has my personal relationship grown with the Father today? If Jesus Christ is important to us as he should be, then we need to understand that the relationship with God the Father is not just some ethereal being up there who takes care of us, but he is a God who loves us, a God who wants to walk with us every day, a God who wants to lead us personally. So do you think that God is love? You know that God is love because Jesus Christ is love and he showed it by dying for us. Do you think that God is holy and righteous and good? Do you want to know that God is full of wisdom and that he understands you, that he is able to help in every situation? You know that because of Jesus. Therefore, we as Christians are not left in the dark as to what God is. We know because he has revealed himself in the Son. So when you read all the stories in the gospel and you study all the miracles and you look at all the things that Jesus performed from feeding 5,000 to walking on water to making blind people heal and lame people walk and the sick to be healed, what you see of all this, you need to realize he's not just the man upstairs. He's the loving, passionate Savior who wants a relationship with you, who wants to walk with you every day. So the deity of Jesus Christ is absolutely critical. If he's not God, then his death means nothing. Because as he himself has said, it's only by the shedding of blood that we have remission of sin. The next thing I want us to rehearse and think back upon is the fact that as he has said here in verse 46, he is light. I have come into the world as light. He is light come into the world in order that whoever believes in him should not walk in darkness. And this is another great theme of the Gospel of John. John speaks of it in the opening chapters describing both his light and his life. And then two very important texts that we saw in John chapter 8 verse 12 and John chapter 9 verse 5 Jesus literally calls himself the light of the world. So what does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? Number one, it means that apart from him, this world is in total darkness. That does not mean that there are no glimmers of light. Certainly man was made in God's image, and even after the fall, we have some remnants of that image. Our minds are partial, partial remnants of that image. We can think and reason and make decisions. Our minds can provide and disseminate a certain degree of light in human thought and philosophy. But our minds, when it comes to spiritual things, are completely depraved. And that's the point. And that is why the world is in such deep darkness. The world can understand mechanics and science and art and interpersonal relationships and many other subjects but in spiritual matters, it is totally dead. 
And Jesus is the one who came to impart light in order that we might see goodness, truth, righteousness, and true light in God himself. So when the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world and shone God's light, he exposed the darkness in the world like no one had ever done before. And those who had a vested interest in the things of this world hated him for it and ultimately tried to kill him for it. Now, let's just review a couple of key things that we saw because it's important to understand this light, the light of the world. First mentioned in John chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But do you remember what was in verses 1 through 11? Well, that was the story of the adulterous woman. That was the story of the woman taken in adultery. And what happened here is that the, the Jewish leaders concocted a great plan. The leaders said, and I'm paraphrasing, we know he preaches love and forgiveness. And we also know he claims to come from God. So let's catch him in a situation in which he has to be forced to make a decision. If he says, forgive the woman, or forgive in the situation, well, what kind of prophet is this that speaks against the law of Moses? And if he says, obey the law, then we'll say, well, what's all this talk about love and forgiveness? So they thought they had him. And so they hatched a plan. They decided to trap a woman in adultery and see what Jesus would do. And you know that this had to be preconceived because by law there had to be two witnesses. And so I believe that they set this up, maybe even with a man involved. And when it was taking place, they came in, they grabbed her, they dragged her out right out of the bed, right down the street in front of Jesus and threw her on the ground in front of Jesus. And then they all grabbed stones, if you recall, to stone her, if Jesus said, to uphold the law. But here's where the light comes in. Jesus doesn't say uphold the law. He doesn't even say forgive her. He says, any of you here who are without sin, cast the first stone. And you know that obviously the guys that hatched the plan knew that was sin, so they walked away. And the story tells us that from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they walked away. All that's left is Jesus and the woman. And I could just see Jesus reaching down and helping to her feet. And he looks into her eyes and he says, Woman, where are your accusers? I have none. And then Jesus said those words that are so riveting. He said, I don't accuse you either. Go and stop sinning. The message he gave this woman is a resounding message for you and I. Because what we have here is Jesus, as he stated in his verses, I didn't come to judge. I came to forgive. I came to offer salvation. And how many Christians today, sitting here in the pew, might feel under the weight of guilt, under the heavy load of, of depression, that warm blanket that you hang on to, 
And Jesus is saying the same thing to you as he said to that woman. I don't accuse you. It doesn't make sense to us. You do wrong, you're wrong. But that's not why Jesus came. I don't accuse you. And that offer is to you and I today as clearly as as, as can be. I don't accuse you. You know, the Bible says that when our sins are forgiven, they're as far as the east is from the west. I I always love that analogy. You know what's so important about that analogy? Because you can't look east and west at the same time. When I was younger, I used to try, you know. You know, you know, you just, as a kid, you know, there's got to be a way to do this, right? But you can't do it. You're either looking to Jesus or you're looking away from him. There's no other way. And so when he says your sin is as far as the east is from the west, he's saying, look to me and live. Look away and die. And friends, the message is so clear because when you have accepted Christ as your personal Savior and you're walking with the Lord, there's only one way to walk, and that's looking to Jesus. Because when you look away, you're looking under your own strength. And so he took this woman and he said, I didn't come to judge. So he says to her, I don't judge you. An amazing story. Whoever follows me, he said, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that follows this story. And then in chapter 9, we saw the story of a man born blind. And Jesus healed him and gave him sight, but he did it on the Sabbath day. And these same leaders were upset. And so they dragged the the healed blind man in, and they interrogated him, and they, they eventually excommunicated him. Because they were darkness. And Jesus was light. So the Pharisees judged, but Jesus did not judge. The Pharisees condemned, but Jesus forgave. The Pharisees were darkness. Jesus was light. And he wants to fellowship with you in the light. He wants to be your light. And I pray that you get this before we move on to the next chapters because they're so rich in personal encouragement and strength. But you have to know right now that the light of the world will change your heart. There's nothing you can't live, be living through. There's no problem too great to keep you from God. There is nothing this world can throw out to keep you from God once you turn to Him. And that's the key message that we know about the light. He came to give light, to give us understanding. Number two, it is possible to be delivered out of darkness. It's not only that the world is in darkness and that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is saying that it is possible to be delivered out of darkness. And if the world is in darkness, then we're in darkness. But Jesus Christ doesn't come only to reveal the darkness He comes to lift us out of darkness by means of his marvelous light. He says, I have come into the world as light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the solution. He is the light. And so if we come to him and depend on him, we have the light to walk in. in. 
That's why he says clearly that that word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Every child of God who fully surrenders to him will always have the light. You will always know the direction to go when the Holy Spirit is in control. And moreover, because this is not just an external, because it is also an internal transformation, we become what Jesus himself calls sons of light. That is, we come to partake of of his nature through believing in him. And with that privilege of surrender, we can surrender to the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit can walk through us. You know, there's not one person here this morning who who would not admit that we are totally incapable of walking the Christian walk. In our flesh, in our humanness, it's impossible. We live in a sin-cursed world where we live in sin-cursed bodies. Our flesh is weak. Our spirit may be strong, but our flesh is weak. And because of that, when Jesus went back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us to live for us. Understand that. The Spirit will live for you. But you have to surrender. You have to allow Him to take over. So this is a very important aspect to understand here. But then we come to the next point, which is the danger of unbelief. And we did mention about this the week or last week and a little bit the week before. But again, John mentions it again for a reason. Now notice verse 47 through 50. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Are you getting that? The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me himself has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So Jesus clearly is a representation of God the Father. And you and I cannot, we're not capable of understanding a spirit of God. So he made Jesus a man and sent him to the earth to walk among us so he could say, look, I'm the Father. When you see me, you've seen the Father. The things I say, the things I preach, the things I do, you're not seeing me, you're seeing him. In other words, Jesus is love, therefore God is love. That ultimate sovereign, eternal creator of the universe loves you. Specifically, you. You're not just sitting here as a, in a group of a congregation. You are sitting here as one child. God gave his life for you. And he is saying, let my spirit live through you that you might know the joys I have from you. Oh, life won't be an easy ride. I mean, we live in a sin-sick world. But when you accept Christ, he's enough. And he will guide you into all truth. So he makes this clear. Now, do you ever wonder 
why bad people seemingly prosper. You know, Jesus didn't come to judge the world, but to offer a Savior. And these people are living in the age of grace. The judgment, though, will come in the last day. And as I used to like to hear Charles Stanley say when he talked about sowing and reaping, he said, you'll always reap more than you sow later than you sow. You sow a field today, you don't reap it today. You reap it in the harvest time. And that's true whether you sow righteousness or sin. So there is a day of harvest coming. There is a day. So today we sow, get this, we sow the seeds of a spirit-filled church so in the right time we can reap the harvest to come. Faith today blooms tomorrow. Trusting God today brings righteousness tomorrow. And as you live for Christ today, and as you give him your life today, he's doing a work that will harvest in harvest time. And it could be a week, a month, a year, who knows. That's why you and my, our only responsibility is to live for Christ today. Live for him today, and he'll provide for tomorrow. Live for him for tomorrow, he'll provide the next day. And whether we're doing it individually or we're doing it as a church, we don't have to worry about seeing the results. God will bring them in his time and in his way. And so it's very encouraging for us to realize that. But so too are coming the harvest of sin that will be dealt with, as he says here, in the last day. So Jesus is speaking of a future day of judgment. He comes to in grace and this is the day of grace we're living in today this is the day when he is offering freely his son we don't know how much longer it'll be but there is coming a day when we will face him and if you are outside of christ you will be facing him at the last day he's talking about but if you'll trust him today his spirit will lead you are are, are you tracking with me Are are you following what i'm saying when Jesus' very words will come back and his words will be the very words of accusation. And those people will stand there thinking, I heard it, I rejected it. And now, the harvest. Now, the last point is something that I don't think we often think about. And that is a command to believe. Look at verse 50. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Now, the word commandment is strategically placed here. What commandment is this? What commandment, what command is life everlasting? Only this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is God's commandment. Today, in much of our evangelism, we treat the offer of salvation as nothing more than an invitation, an invitation to come and believe Jesus and to give our hearts to the Savior. And for for certain, that's what it is. But the Lord Jesus did say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But we must remember that this is not all that was said. 
The offer of salvation is an invitation, but it is an invitation that at the same time is a command. Paul, when speaking to the Athenians, talked about, or speaking in Athens, talked about the ignorance of the Athenians when he said in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. It's a commandment. In the same way, on the day of Pentecost, Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is not something to be toyed with. This is not something to be delayed. God is our master, and he offers us freedom from sin. But he commands us to accept it. The call is an invitation for sure. It is out of the love for the Lord that he the love of the Lord that he offers us this. It is out of love that God calls us to repent. But at the same time, the matter of belief is not an option. It is required of us. And therefore, to fail to believe is not just a misfortune. It's sin. And may I say also to you Christians, if you've accepted the light but walk in darkness, you're walking in sin. When you don't trust him, when you don't believe that he can transform you, when you've accepted him but you, don't, you have no security, when you read the word of God but you just seem to rely on your own self, you're forfeiting the power that he has offered. Why put yourself through this any longer? Will you believe? Jesus says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. He says, I have come into the world as light. Will you allow him to be your Will you allow Jesus Christ, who said, I have come into the world to pay for your sins. I have come into the world to give you light. I command you to repent. Will you accept his offer of forgiveness? And Christians, will you accept his offer of strength and light to guide you into all truth. Clearly, if, if life isn't functioning in a way that God is leading, then I implore you to make a decision now to rectify it. Because he has said, I have come, and he will meet all our needs. Let's pray. Father, as we finish this summary that you have so clearly let out from your writer John. John wrote this being led by your spirit. He wrote this to rehearse once again that you are light. Once again that you come into the world to forgive us. None of us knows how long we have. No one knows if we'll ever hear the offer again. We could leave here this morning and never hear it again. 
Lord, I pray that if you're working in the heart of people this morning, that they would turn to you now, that they would surrender their lives. And if at any point they need to speak to someone, help them to come to us, that we might show them through your word how they can be sure of eternal life. And Lord, for Christians who have gotten caught up in just the everyday life and forgotten the personal relationship, the love letter that you sent them, drawing them to you, that wonderful day of salvation has grown dim in their sight. I pray that you would encourage them this morning, rejuvenate them, and draw them to yourself that we might bring glory to you with the time we have left on this earth. Thank you, God, and may you be praised in all things today in Christ's name.